Praise the Lord. Thank you, Dottie. Have you talked with Jesus this morning? One of my favorite lines in one of my favorite books called Steps to Christ. Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Have you opened your heart to God this morning as to a friend? Um, It speaks of a God who actually listens. It speaks of a God who actually talks. It speaks to a God who actually longs for relationship. And today we have the privilege of prayer. This week we're starting a series on prayer. Right now, I think it's going to last for three weeks. Um, Who knows, it may last longer, so buckle your safety belts. We're about to start a journey together. The reality is, uh, personal confessions of a pastor, here it is. I'm very hesitant, actually. I'm hesitant to dive into the topic of prayer together. The reason why, well, there's probably several reasons. One of the reasons is because prayer is such a, a common thing that it can become cliche, and it can become very, very trite to some people. The other thing is that I recognize that prayer is such a huge thing, and for me to try to preach on it, I might do it injustice, but I believe God wants us to dive into it this week and the coming weeks, because God has called me to study it. And I'll be honest with you, I would much rather be on the other end of studying the topic of prayer so that I could tell you what it's all about. So I could tell you that this is what I've found, uh, but what's going to happen is over the next few weeks, we're going to journey together. I hope you're okay with that. We're going to journey together, and we're going to study certain chapters in the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Sometimes it's known as the farewell discourses of Jesus. If you've ever studied the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John was written much, much later than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John was written probably 30 years later after those other Gospels had time to circulate. You've noticed that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have similar stories, similar perspective, even sometimes similar order of events, but John is just completely different. If you were at camp meeting, maybe you listened to a presenter named Elizabeth Talbot, and she described how 92% of the Gospel of John is completely unique to John. And of those 92%, we have John 14, 15, and 16. Farewell discourses. You could say famous last words. Famous last words as Jesus is headed to the cross. Or in the Gospel of John, his lingo is, he's headed to the hour the hour of his glory. And so we're going to dive into this because I believe God is calling us to be a church of prayer. I'll say it again. I believe God is calling us to be a church of prayer. Maybe you remember the verse where Jesus is describing, actually the story is told where Jesus casts out people from the temple who have turned the temple into a marketplace. You remember that story? Whips, Uh, screaming, no, I don't know, Uh, all this kind of ruckus. And Jesus is clearing out the temple and he says, you've made this house into a den of thieves, but my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching, though preaching may happen. Not a house of ministry, though ministry may happen. Not a house of fellowship, though fellowship may happen. Not a house of potluck, though potluck may happen, amen? The defining characteristic of what God's house is, 
The thing that should define what, what God dwells among, his presence really abides in and remains in. Whatever it is that defines it, Jesus says it's a house of prayer. And so I believe God is calling Parkwood to be a church of prayer. Definitely not a church without prayer. Amen? And not just a church with prayer, but a church of prayer. It's not just that we tack on a prayer at the beginning and the end of a program. It's not that we just tack on a prayer at the beginning or the end of some exercise or ministry event, but that in all that we are and do, we are communing with the God who longs to commune with us. What that's like, I want to see it. And I believe God is calling Parkwood Church to experience it. Amen? Amen. What that's like, I have no idea. But God wants it to happen. And so we're going to dive in. This week we start The Privilege of Prayer, Part 1. If you want a subtitle for it, we'll say, In That Day. Da-da-da. All right. So the privilege of prayer, part one. We're going to start actually in John chapter 16. We're going to work our way backwards. John 16 today, John 15 next week, John 14 the following week. And the reason for that, you'll see it become clear, but something that I've noticed actually in, in the thought processes of Hebrew Bible writers is that they often think in different ways than Western minds. Where we like to think from cause to effect, Hebrew minds often think from e- effect to cause. That's right. So here in John chapter 14, we actually see some of the effects of being a praying people or praying disciples. In John chapter 15, there's a connection there. But then in John chapter 16, it actually gives us the cause, the very reason or the, what makes it possible for us to pray. And so that's what we're going to study today. John chapter 16, just a few verses there. Before we do, let's bow our heads and ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Father, you know that in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. Thank you, God, that as a corporate family, we can claim that promise. Lord, we are, we are mere humans. We are natural beings. But we want to understand supernatural truth and reality. Not for the sake of the head, not for the sake of more knowledge or for more information. God, we want this for the sake of personal transformation. Lord, we want to be a church of prayer. And so teach us what it is to pray. As we open up the Bible, God, please open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts. And may the same Spirit that inspired the Scriptures be the same Spirit who instructs in the Scriptures. This is our sincere desire, God. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. So open with me. John chapter 16, maybe you're already there. John chapter 16, beginning in verse, we'll start actually in verse 20. John chapter 16, verse 20. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. So in John chapter 16, by this time, this is the final hours, the final hours of Christ's life. He is almost to Gethsemane, and hence he's almost to Calvary. So this is a very, very sober time. Jesus has already told the disciples, hey, in a little while you won't see me. And the disciples are distraught. The disciples are trying to figure things out. What is the deal? 
and realize that for the disciples, these aren't newbies anymore, right? These aren't the novice disciples anymore. Jesus taught about prayer at the very beginning of his ministry. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? He was introducing the disciples to how to actually talk with God. He was introducing them to the concept that God is a Father who knows everything we need. He was introducing that to them, but by now, three and a half years later, the disciples have had experiences with Jesus, through Jesus, as a result of communing with Jesus. And so now, the disciples are being prepared. prepared. They're not being introduced, they're being prepared to launch out on their own. Jesus knows that these disciples, they're going to be without his personal presence in, in just a matter of hours. And so Jesus is trying to prep them of how to stand alone, how to stand on their own when Jesus cannot be with them in the flesh, personally. So the kinds of things that you imagine Jesus talking about, you're not surprised when Jesus talks about the word joy a lot in chapters 14, 15, and 16. Because the disciples are going to experience sorrow, Jesus says, look, you're going to have joy. In addition to joy, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. He says, look, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. There's actually going to be a helper, a counselor, a comforter, that if I were not going to go, he wouldn't even be able to be here present. And so he's instructing them about joy. He's instructing them about the Spirit. He's instructing them about how to be secure in a relationship with God. Remember John chapter 15, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. All these kinds of things that are preparing them for life without Jesus in the flesh. But even more than joy, even more than the Spirit, even more than the assurance of securing that relationship, even more than that, is this repeated phrase of prayer, and maybe I should correct that. The word is not just pray, the word is ask. The word is ask. Did you know there's a difference between praying and asking? In the Bible, there's a difference between praying and asking. Prayer is more of a broad concept. It's more of a a, a broad concept of communication, Actually, the Greek, here's a Greek lesson for today, prosuthomai. Can you say, try saying that without spitting on your neighbor? Prosuthomai, all right? Prosuthomai, that's the Greek word for prayer. It's an interchange, and it's an exchange of ideas and wishes. So it refers to the broad sense of communicating with God, prosuthomai, okay? Now that prosuthomai can take the form of praises and thanksgiving. It can also take the form of requests and expressing desires. But specifically in John 14, 15, and 16, it's not the word prosuthomai. It's the word aiteo. Aiteo, which means ask, demand, or request. So this is a bold kind of prosuthomai. This is a very intense kind of prosuthomai of asking. And in John chapter 16, let's begin in verse 20. John chapter 16, we start reading why this is such a necessity. In verse 20, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Verse 21, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. What are you talking about, Jesus? Read verse 22. 
Therefore, you disciples now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will, what's the next word in your Bible? Will rejoice. So I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Amen. So here are the disciples. They've just been told the news that Jesus is going to be taken from their sight. They're going to be sorrowful, filled with sorrow. But Jesus is trying to assure them that just as a woman who has the pain of childbirth, when that child comes, that sorrow is turned into joy. You will see me again. In other words, you're going to see me die and it will seem like all hopes are dashed. But I will raise again. The resurrected Christ changes everything. I'll say that again. The resurrected Christ changes everything. Sorrow becomes joy. But not just sorrow turning into joy. It changes our praying into asking. Watch. Verse 23. And in that day, what day would that be? What day would that be? When their sorrow turned to joy, right? In that day when Jesus would be seen again, in that day when Jesus would be resurrected, he would be shown to be the victor over the grave, not the, not the, the victim of the grave. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask who? The Father in my name, he will give you. Verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. In other words, prior to that day, right? Prior to that day, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So whatever that day is, things are different. Can you see that? Yes or no? Things are different as a result of Jesus' resurrection. In that day, things are are different. Specifically, according to verse 24, in that day, excuse me, until now, verse 24 says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. So, we could conclude that in that day, after the resurrection, will we pray in Jesus' name, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Up to this point, the disciples have not prayed in Jesus' name, but after the resurrection, Jesus' disciples will pray in his name. So, what does it mean then? What does it mean, then, to pray in Jesus' name? To pray in Jesus' name that they wouldn't be doing that while Jesus was present, but they would be doing it while he is absent. So what is it to pray in Jesus' name? I'm sure that if by a showing of hands we were to ask ourselves, okay, when we pray, how many of us pray at the end? In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So what does it mean, then, when we say that? Is it just a simple P.S. at the end of a letter? Is it just a simple addendum? Is it just kind of the routine, the things that just kind of flow out of our mouths, just like we start, dear Jesus? What is in your name? May I suggest that to pray in Jesus' name means to pray in his stead. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray as his representative. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray as though Jesus were praying it himself. The reason why the disciples didn't pray in Jesus' name while Jesus was with them is because Jesus himself was lifting up those prayers to God from earth. But when he was absent, 
In other words, when Jesus was at the right hand of God, but not on the earth side of things, he left his disciples to keep praying, but not to pray of themselves or for themselves, but to pray as though Christ himself were praying those prayers. I don't know if the, is this, is this, because this is big to me, okay? That means if I'm writing a prayer to God like a letter, dear God, this is what's going on here. I'm needing some of this and a little bit of that. Oh Lord, you know, and then I sign, sincerely, Jesus. Could it be that Jesus is asking his disciples to pray in his stead as his representative? As a young person, um, I, I grew up in a family of physicians. My family is here today, praise the Lord. Um, I, I had firsthand experience with taking someone's name. <laughs> uh, I would go on certain errands or I'd make certain phone calls and I'd my mom would give me certain instructions. She'd say, okay, they're not going to know who you are, but you just tell them that you need this or you need that, and you say, Dr. Miranda has asked that I obtain this or we set this appointment. <laughs> okay. And sure enough, I'm calling. I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Godfrey, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's like no response, no response. And Dr. Miranda says, and all of a sudden ears perk up. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you just kind of drop a name and all of a sudden the whole dynamic of that conversation changes. Yeah, I know this person. He sent me. Or maybe you've been referred to a mechanic and you just say, yeah, just tell him that Charles sent you. And all of a sudden you get the best deal, like labor for free or whatever. I don't know what it is. Anyways, you can pray for that. No. Uh, <laughs> here's the point. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, you're going to make requests, not of your own merit, but of mine. It's going to be lifted up. These prayers that ascend from earth to heaven are going to be lifted up in the same way as though I were the one who were standing there praying those things. When you pray in Jesus' name. So it's more than just the thing to say at the end of a prayer. It's a privilege wouldn't you agree? Oh, man. And the, the position of Jesus, now that he's not here on earth, but that he's at the right hand of God, that makes that kind of praying a necessity and a possibility. And so what is it that's different about that day? Well, Jesus isn't here, so now we're praying in his name, okay? What else is different about that day? Well, first of all, Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is resurrected. That means that Whatever Jesus did on the cross and whatever he accomplished through the empty tomb, that has changed our relationship to God. That has changed our relationship to God. Actually, flip a few pages later to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 17. When you're there, say amen. John chapter 20, verse 17. This is, the, this is on that Resurrection Sunday. Mary Magdalene has come to the tomb looking for Jesus. She's crying her eyes out. She doesn't know where, where the body of Jesus is. All she sees is the stone rolled away. Then she sees someone that she thinks is a gardener and says, hey, wherever you've taken him, just tell me. Just tell me so I can be with the body of Jesus. She loved Jesus that much. And suddenly she hears the man say, Mary. And it's as if through her tear-stained eyes, she can see, oh, finally, this is Jesus. 
Mary begins to, to hold on to Jesus. And notice what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and who? I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. In other words, as a result of the resurrection of Jesus, it's not just Jesus' heavenly Father, it's my heavenly Father to whom I pray. That relationship has changed because of the cross and the empty tomb. And if you flip back to John chapter 16, in John chapter 16, notice the implications of this changed relationship. John chapter 16, look at verse 26. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. John chapter 16, verse 26. Again, in that day, right? That day of the resurrection, that day post-cross, post-tomb. In that day, you will ask in my name, there it is again, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, verse 27, for the Father himself, what are the next two words in your Bible? Loves you. It's not that Jesus is up in heaven saying, God, you know, I know they're they're really pitiful, they're really broken, they're really, yeah, rebellious and stiff-necked, I know that, I know, (laughs) Jesus says. It's not that Jesus is pleading with God to have favor on us. It's not that Jesus is twisting God's arm to accept us. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. When you're praying, you can pray with this kind of assurance. That the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. So here, the implications of in that day. First, it shows us the promise of prayer. And that promise is that the Father himself loves you. I'll say that again because there may be a weary heart here today that needs to hear this truth. The Father himself loves you. I think we could all admit to the, the, the tendency of not praying. I've read uh, some, some books on this, and um, some people call it the sin of prayerlessness. Anybody get a witness of that? Yeah? I don't know what it is that discourages you from praying. Maybe it's disappointment with prayers unanswered. Maybe it's just kind of a a way to save face that you don't want to create expectations that you think will be disappointed in the end. Whether it's unbelief or what. Maybe some of us don't pray because we don't think we'll ever be heard. But Jesus is giving an all-encompassing assurance that in that day, post-cross, after the tomb. In that day, my father is your father. And the father himself loves you. So why not pray? The father himself wants to hear and he wants to respond. That's the promise of prayer. In that day, it gives us the promise of prayer, but I would suggest that it also tells us the price of prayer. If it is true that Jesus' death and resurrection 
changes our relationship so that we can actually ask. Okay? We're not just talking about prayer as in the interchange or communication with God. We're talking about asking type of prayer. So maybe you can call it asking hyphen prayer. Okay, asking prayer. This, that's what we're talking about today. So if it's true that Jesus' death and resurrection changes our, our, our relationship with God that we can actually ask, then we could say it this way. Jesus died and rose again so that we could pray. Have you thought about that? Ask yourself the question, well, what did Jesus die and raise again for? What did Jesus die and raise again for? Um, to save me from my sin. Maybe we could say that, right? What did Jesus die and resurrect again for? Um, to make it possible for me to be in heaven. I don't know what it is. I mean, these are, these are significant things. These are all-encompassing things. But is it true that Jesus died and rose again so that we could pray? Think about that for a second. If Jesus died and rose again so that I could ask, so that I could pray in the name of Jesus, if that's something that Jesus died and rose again for, then prayer isn't just one of those accessories of Christian life. It's not just an add-on. It's not just one of those options. It's part of the standard package, right? Jesus died and rose again so that you and I could pray. In other words, prayer has a price tag, and that is the blood of Calvary. So if Jesus values prayer so much that he would go to the cross and the tomb for you, then what a pity that it's so easy for us to neglect this privilege. Oh, that tears my heart. (laughs) Because I know that I am not valuing If I were to look at the way I prioritize prayer, the way I invest myself in prayer, I am not prioritizing prayer as much as apparently Jesus did through the cross and the empty tomb. So prayer comes at a price tag, and and will I appreciate it? I hope so. I pray so. So we're talking about in that day, and yes, in that day, it, it, it tells us of the promise of prayer, that the Father himself loves us, that he will respond, not because he's being forced to, but because he wants to, because Jesus' resurrection changes our relationship with God. So the promise of prayer, and also the price of prayer, but I would also add a third thing about this day, this new day, and that's the prize of prayer. The prize of prayer. John 16, verse 24, it says, Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your what? That your joy may be full. Did you notice that joy is repeated maybe five or six times in verses 20 through 22 alone? (laughs) The joy that Jesus is talking about is the joy of actually seeing the resurrected Christ again. Remember, he's, he's just told them, hey, in a little while, you won't see me. You'll be full of sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned into joy, right? So sorrow is not seeing Jesus. Joy is seeing Jesus. Yeah. Are we following that logic? Yes or no? Yeah? Sorrow is Jesus is dead. Final. Finis. The end of the story. Joy is Jesus is alive. There's more to the story. Jesus is in heaven, and he is ministering on our behalf before the throne of God. Amen. Okay, so Jesus says, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. 
ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. In other words, when you ask and receive answers to your asking, your joy of seeing Jesus will be full. Let me say it like this. When we receive what we've asked for, it's giving us evidence that Jesus is not dead. When we ask in Jesus' name, God says, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it. Why? Because this is going to give you evidence of the fact that Jesus is alive and active in your midst. That we don't serve a, a, a Savior who's still in the tomb. We serve a Savior who has risen again. And in that, your joy will be complete. That's the prize of prayer. How many of you long for complete joy? Yeah? A joy that nobody else can take from you, that no other worldly circumstance or no other uh, personal flaw, no other character, uh, just deformity, well, whatever, no other dynamic can take from you. I long for that kind of joy, and that joy apparently comes from seeing the resurrected Christ acting through yours and my prayers. So that's the prize of prayer. This day that Jesus is talking about, in that day, this day opens up a new promise of prayer that the Father himself loves us, that we stand in a kind of relationship with God that Jesus himself stands in when we claim Christ. That's powerful to me. So the promise of prayer, the price of prayer, that Jesus actually died and resurrected so that you and I could pray. And also the prize, the prize of full joy, complete joy, utter satisfaction, knowing that Christ is alive and in our midst. So now what? What are we going to do with this privilege? What are we going to do with the privilege of prayer? How can I enter into this experience that Jesus is talking about? How can I live in that day? You and I are already physically living and existing in that day. Amen? Jesus is alive. Jesus is not in the tomb. So how, in, how can you and I enter by faith into that experience where we ask in this way? I think first, it starts with embracing the promise. Embrace the reality that the Father himself loves you. If you haven't, if you haven't embraced that, I urge you, I urge you to hear the voice of truth from the Holy Spirit that says the Father himself loves you. Whatever your mental script is that contradicts that, let God's Spirit write a new mental script for you. The Father himself loves you. So start with that. Embrace that promise. Second thing I would, I would say is this. Appreciate the price. Appreciate the fact that Jesus actually died. Jesus actually died so that you and I could pray. I don't know. I don't know how to communicate that more compellingly, but Jesus died and rose again so that you and I could have the privilege of prayer. So appreciate the price. Appreciate the price and appreciate that in the way you prioritize that. Appreciate the price of prayer and finally, finally enjoy the prize. Enjoy the prize of prayer, seeing evidences of God actually acting upon the things that you're asking. Seeing evidence is the fact that Jesus is alive in your midst, that he is not dead. 
How many of us will do it? How many of us will step into this and say, yes, I want the privilege of prayer. I may not necessarily feel it, but I know that I can trust it because the Father himself loves me. Jesus died so that I could pray, and he's going to give me complete joy as I do. How many of you want that experience? Yes or no? Yeah? Amen. Amen. You know, the celestial strings are going to be playing one more song for us, I believe. Yeah? And as they do, I would just encourage you. I would just encourage you to allow your heart to commune with God right now and allow him to to instruct you about how you're going to make these things practical. Now, some of us may be asking, okay, okay, these these blank check promises, whatever you ask in my name, you're going to receive. What are you talking about? That's got to be hyperbole. That's got to be exaggeration or something like that. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this, the content of those prayers and what those prayers actually mean because Jesus gives some specific instruction in John 15 and then again in 14. So again, as, as these friends of ours play, um, lift up your hearts to God, not just in prayer, but in asking prayer. Okay. Happy Sabbath. The song we will be playing is titled, It Is Well With My Soul. <laughs> 